Welcome to Four Generations to Come, a podcast by Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Whether you are re-listening to a Sunday teaching or listening to the playback because you weren't able to join us live during our Sunday gathering, we're excited to connect with you. We hope to see you this summer at our midweek meetups across the Northwest. You can also check out the playlist for the Songs We Sing series on our website or social media. Behind every song is a story, a personal story or the story of Scripture. What we sing shapes us. Whether it's the kid song in your head that you can't seem to shake, or the tune to which you cling when difficulty arises. The songs we sing during our gatherings remind us of who God is and what He has done, as well as who we are in Him. In our summer series, we take a look at the meaning behind the music to help us live our liturgy, so that our faith is an everyday faith. The songs we sing shape us. May they help us become more like Jesus. Enjoy today's teaching. Okay, before I never get a host again, (laughs) let me read the scripture for the week. Let's get uh, Fred up here to share the message. This is the completion of the Songs We Sing series. Um, He's going to be speaking about nothing but the blood. And so let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every command has been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, He took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself in all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle in all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law... Almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. <laughs> well, good morning. I am uh, glad to, to be kind of concluding our series on the songs we sing. Kyle asked me to share and Uh, In many ways, it's really been a neat progression seen for the past several weeks as we've gone. And so I'm kind of following up from this series uh, and concluding uh, what Kyle did last week with We Come to the Altar, I Love That Song, and this morning talking about nothing but the blood. Uh, But I do, uh, as much as I hate to do this, I do need to correct something Kyle taught last week. Uh, And so just just so you know, I I need you to know that golf is not a sport. Um, (laughs) And so, 
Um, there is some, some, some erroneous teaching there. And, and I know there's some arguments and, and, uh, that just because, like, baseball, it has a stick and the ball, um, it, it reminds us that baseball is not a sport either. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's talk about forgiveness. Right? We, want to, we see as we talk about nothing but the blood, and this, this is what it's about. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Fred. I like the Flintstones, if you forget, you ever come up, you just say, remember that. My wife, Wilma, I mean Kendra, uh, <laughs> plays keyboard. She's our keyboard player. She, she is amazing. She is the talent in our family. She is absolutely wonderful. Um, I, I've been doing ministry for uh, a little over 25 years, and I, I currently serve as a hospice chaplain. Uh, and, and above everything, my territory is everything above Vancouver. So I get to drive all over the place, go to some very beautiful places. But it's not uncommon for me when um, I tell someone I'm a hospice chaplain, for them to say something kind of like this. They look at me and go, oh, man, that must be really hard. In, in truth, yes and no. You know, I, I get to stand in what we would call a liminal space, this sacred place in between life and death. Like when I meet with people, they know that the end of hospice, the goal of hospice is really that they will step into eternity and they will find themselves in this new creation, this new experience that hopefully God has created for them. And, uh, and it's not an easy place to be sometimes, but it is uh, sometimes it, it's much more than you imagine as we see people who trust and recognize uh, what God has done for them. But it's also, even though it's not always easy, it really is an important and powerful place to be. In fact, um, through even our government, through Medicare, hospice chaplains are required for every hospice system uh, in the world for them to support it. And so that's how even our government recognizes that chaplains are important that. Um, and i got to tell you, honestly, uh, hospice, when I go in and talk to people, is not about death but it's really about life. It's really about what was important, what's important in life, looking back on life, remembering. And I will tell you, I, I never know exactly what I'm stepping into. I never know exactly what I'm going to get. Uh, recently, just a week and a half ago, I get a call um, or, or a message about a family, and then I talk, call back the family who wants me to visit their loved one and they are concerned that there are some demonic forces at work in the room with their loved one. And so I'm walking into this situation, and we have a conversation through that. And I will tell you, there were a lot more prayer than I even normally do going into that situation uh, and actually talking to some other friends about that. Sometimes I go into some situations where there's lots of difficulty for family members and uh, for loved ones and for kind of what I would say, some uh, family who are disconnected and not have issues and different things like that. And one thing about death is often it can bring this out. Sometimes we even deal with uh, younger kids and people who are young and younger than me who often uh, have to face these kinds of experiences. 
The things I do is I, I sit down with people, and, and this is one of the beautiful parts, is I do something we call life review, where we just talk about and share about their life and the things they've experienced through life. And I had a conversation with a, someone uh, a week and a half ago, and it was the patient and their uh, son, and I just said to them, as they were telling me about their age and their birthday coming up and hoping at least to get to their birthday, I said, you know, uh, I think you're older than sliced bread. Um, <laughs> and the son looks at me a little weird, and he goes, and so he Googles it, and he's like, yep, my dad's older than sliced bread. He's been around forever. Great conversation, trust the Lord, all those kind of things. But it's also not uncommon for me to talk to someone who will say to me, you know, why am I still here? Why am I still alive? Why am I not in heaven already? They've come to a place in their life where they, they've lived a, a life, they feel fulfilled, and they're trusting in the Lord for a future, and they're ready to step into eternity, to be in the presence of Jesus, to worship him uh, forever. And they're just wondering, what's taking so long? Why is this taking so long? I actually had a woman who asked me a few weeks ago because she had been dealing with this, wondering what's taking so long and why is she not in heaven yet, who said to me, uh, is God punishing me? Is God punishing me for the things I've done? Now, you've got to know, this woman was somebody who knew her Bible. She was more consistent with her daily devotional than just about anybody I know. She knew Jesus with all her heart. She had connected to him and Yet there was some stuff in her past that she was worried about. And so these are kind of the, some of the things that I deal with in hospice. And uh, really my job is to go in and sit and talk with people. Never know what those situations are. Never, a lot of times never met the folks. Don't always know. Sometimes we'll just do a prayer. Sometimes we do music. I have a little Bluetooth speaker and I'll pull up some old hymns on or on. Um, on YouTube, and my favorite, just because I'm such a horrible singer, is Alan Jackson. He does some tradi really traditional hymns, and so I can sing along with him and have it not sound completely horrible, so I appreciate him. Um, and, and so we just have these things. Sometimes we just talk about life, and then I, I get to participate in funerals and memories and all those kinds of things. So it, it, this is kind of my background, is what I've been dealing with lately and walking with people through this journey uh, to the end of life, to stepping into eternity and what that looks like. And so I was kind of excited and we looked at the options and with this song, Nothing But the Blood. Now I got to let you know, as I was thinking about this also, I also think talking about blood sometimes the way I do is kind of a weird conversation. Now if you didn't grow up in the church, and I didn't, Talking about blood the way we do is really, really strange. Um, a lot of times if I teach, I'll show a lot of pictures like this week. And so I was like, I, thinking of blood in my head, I'm sorry, that's probably it. But I was thinking, what, what do I show? Like what was the movie uh, with the, the um, I don't know, Blade or something like that? Some vampire, you know, it's just weird. It's a weird conversation. The one with the girl at the prom where they douse her with it. You're like, those are weird, right? They're kind of creepy, like when we think about that. And yet, as Christians, we talk about the blood really often. You know, are you washed in the blood? You know, washed by the blood of the lamb? And we have this thing, and so we want to know. I didn't grow up in church, so when I started to kind of come, when I became a Christian and started hearing these conversations, it was pretty new to me. I have kind of a pseudo-Catholic background, so I had a little bit of understanding kind of connection and heard it before, but it was pretty new to me, and I didn't understand. 
And so I want to read to you again the Hebrews 9, 16 uh, through 22 verse, and just to give you some background. Now, uh, part of what I was trying to do here was to sum up, to bring everything together and sum up what we would call this whole sacrificial system within just a small section here. I don't have a whole lot of time, and Kyle talked about it last week. We come to the altar where we bring to the altar our sacrifice, and and so I thought as I was trying to find a verse that would fit, that this would be a good one to help us see the idea of blood and where it comes from. And if you go home today and you're not sure and, or you're just wondering, I encourage you to read all, just all of Hebrews 9 and 10, really all of Hebrews, but 9 and 10 to give yourself a picture of some of this. But I'm going to try and give a brief overview about some of this. It says, in the case of a will, and depending on your translation, it might also say covenant, and it uses that word down there. It is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, right? So when we know where there's a will, there's, there's somebody died, and then there's a benefit that we get from that. Verse 17, because a will is enforced only when someone has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. This is what's called the Mosaic Covenant. When Moses came and gave the law to all the people, the Ten Commandments, and really so many more than that, when it says the first covenant, this is what it's referring to. Now, this is why, let's go back to 18. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet, wool, branches, and I pronounce it hyssop, um, and sprinkled the scroll into all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. And then verse 21, in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in ceremonies. And so there's a lot of blood here, which has kind of got to be a little weird looking at it if you don't understand this. In fact, verse 22 in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So if you, if you don't hear anything else from this, if you're zoned out, if you're online and you, you, something else comes up, you want to watch another the YouTube channel, I need you to get that. Siri's not even getting it, right? Um, <laughs> and, and so uh, this idea that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So when we talk about blood in the context of our Christian faith, of what we sing, nothing but the blood, we got to get that, that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. This is the basis of what we're thinking. So when you sing today, when you sing this, when you hear somebody talk about the blood, that blood recognizes and equals this idea of forgiveness. And it comes from this mosaic, this old covenant, and it actually started way back before there. See, blood has some powerful imagery. There, there are some uh, pictures that we see all throughout the Old Testament. And um, this verse, in many ways, summarizes the Old Covenant, or uh, that Mosaic Covenant, where it tells us that Moses came and gave us the law and made it in effect with blood. And so this is why the law, why we have blood, why it's important. And this goes back even farther. This is a very powerful verse. Leviticus 17.11. This is when God is giving them the law. He puts this in there. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement 
for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Let me say that again. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So when we sang last week, come to the altar, we come to the altar because Jesus was sacrificed and his blood covers it over. There's a verse I didn't get into because I didn't have enough time as I was getting back where three, um, Romans 3.25 reminds us of this sacrifice, of this pain, this price. But we see this Leviticus from the very this beginning when God's giving the people the law. This idea of sacrifice goes back to the very earliest chapters even of Genesis. That uh, it was, a, I think really, and there's lots of theological teachings, and I, I adhere to this, that really what we did with the sacrificial system and when God gave us the sacrificial system, it was a copy of what he had done for us in the beginning Amen. and the shadow of what he's gonna, he did, was going to do for us in Jesus. Amen. Because at the very beginning, if you know this story, you know Adam and Eve, they were out. They had, uh, she ate from the tree, she gave some to Adam, and then God comes, shows up, and he, he, they like, we hid because we were naked. And so they recognized their sin and that they were naked that they hadn't known before. And, and so in Genesis 3.21, it tells us this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now let me say this. We think about this. His garments of skin. They were in the garden. God told them not to do something. They sinned. Their sin was exposed. And they hid because they were naked. And in order for them not to hide, it said God made gardens, garments of skin. And what the Hebrew in there really means this animal skins. That God made garments of animal skins for them. He took animals. He slaughtered animals to cover over their sin. This is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. From the very beginning, in order to deal with sin, there was blood. There was an animal sacrifice to cover over the sin. And that what God gave us in the law, when he talked about this in Leviticus 17, was a, a, a copy of that, where we were sacrificing animals, where there was a, a atonement in the blood to copy that and to point to Jesus and what he was going to do for us. God covered the sin. And then when he gave us the law, the problem was it wasn't going to do it completely. Hebrews 10.4, and as I said, I encourage you to read Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 just for this, but the whole thing is great. Hebrews 10.4 says this, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The whole book of Hebrews is pointing how the Old Testament, how the history of the Hebrew people point to Jesus and that he was a greater sacrifice, a permanent sacrifice who paid the price once and for all. So we see this picture of all the way back into Genesis pointing to the sacrifice in the, the law and the old covenant, that sacrifice. There was life in the blood, and God gave us those animals so that we could give atonement, so that we could come to the altar and pay the price, and it was a symbol of cleansing. Now i got to tell you, without this, I could never imagine blood being a symbol of cleansing, right? I don't know if you do this. I work in the healthcare field, and I remember at one point I was doing an interview um, 
for a job, and it was an online answer, a bunch of questions, and I think they gave the same interview to everyone because there was about 15 questions about how I feel about blood and whether I was afraid of it or not afraid of it and all these other things and what I thought of it, and because there, there are so many issues related to that. And so I never think of it in terms of being cleansing without the concept of Scripture and the sacrifice that Jesus not only made for us, but God implemented in the Old Testament to point to Jesus. So just to summarize that, that talking about blood is actually a weird conversation. Let's just be real. I think it's just strange when we think about that without the context of knowing the history of the Old Testament and pointing to Jesus and what he'd done for us. That blood, And so when we sing that, we are singing not only a history of, of humanity uh, from the very beginning of what God did for us, but it points to what Jesus did, and not only what Jesus did, but a future that we get in heaven. Amen. So as a hospice chaplain, when I meet with someone and we talk about life and death, we get the opportunity to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made, what he had done for us. There is some deep meaning there that there is life in the blood, not only the life of the animal, but the life of those of us who have blood and the sacrifice Jesus made so that we might have life eternal. It goes back to the beginning to point to him. So as we get to this song, so there, there is a little summary. That's, if you want to know more, ask. Ask Kyle, Jonathan, anyone, and you can Google it, talk more about these sacrifices. But as we get to this song about nothing but the blood, what we're doing is singing something that's a powerful reminder. I am convinced, and I don't know about you if you've ever experienced this, but for me, songs are not just songs. They're prayers that we put to music, right? They are pronouncements that we put to music. They're proclamations that we put to music. So when we sing songs like Nothing But the Blood, that we are putting to music what we believe and what God has said and what we've done for us. You know, I will tell you this, that it's not uncommon for me when I talk about these things and I go meet with people to talk to someone who's told me they've walked away from the church, that they have walked away, they're not there, and, and, uh, but they're still connected to Jesus. And I have to tell you, when I have these conversations, I begin to ask, well, so why did you walk away? What, what, what happened? And almost always, it's because they begin to tell me something that isn't exactly biblical. You know, they're telling me things like they're, they're whatever they were told, they weren't allowed to use a pool table and, uh, or they couldn't play cards or they couldn't watch TV and, or go to movies or some of those things. And, and I think those are some difficult things. Those are some things you're like, why did they tell you that? Well, this is common from what my church would teach. And I think it's not uncommon to see this in Christianity. And when we think about this song, this nothing but the blood. We have this idea of blood that rec recognizes sacrifice, but this nothing but is also a powerful message. Mm -hmm. See, I think what we have to get is, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to know him, that there's nothing but the blood, nothing but his sacrifice that saves us. Not those other rules, those other things we do, and, and those other things that people tell us should do. I, I have to tell you, some of the things I've seen come out are just a little bit overwhelming that people are taught. And I'm like, I don't know where that is in Scripture at all. And I have these conversations with people. See, I think part of the problem is we struggle sometimes with how to classify Scripture. How to present it in a way that helps us to understand it powerfully. 
See, what you got to know is Scripture has a lot to say, the New Testament especially, but the whole, all of Scripture has a lot to say about how we live, right? The way we live our lives. And you'll hear this. You've probably said this. You know, and you probably have friends say this. I, I don't want to go to church because they're all about rules. Anybody ever heard that before? Like church is all about rules. I actually have a friend who was a pastor who I was talking to earlier this week who told me uh, he's going to a church now. He's no longer a, in church ministry. He, and he's telling me he's going to a church now. And he said, this week, this week when we walked into church, uh, it was the first time we've ever walked into church and not felt judged. And that just weighed heavy on me and broke my heart because of his experiences, some of that. See, I think what we have to understand, when the talk, Bible talks about how we live, we get confused between the root of salvation and the fruit of salvation, right? See, the root of salvation is nothing but the blood. The fruit of salvation is all about how we live. The root of salvation is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. The fruit of salvation is, yeah, not trying to cuss, but sometimes those words come out. But Jesus is still the root of salvation, right? It's, yes, I'm not going to be mean to my mom or my dad or my kids or my husband or my wife. Uh, and yet, sometimes I do, but Jesus is still the root of salvation. And see, what we have to get is that those are two different things, and too often we confuse them. Uh, one of the things I love about generations is our statements. What you have to get is our statements talk about how we live. But they're very clearly not rules, they're values. And, and I want to just point you to them right now. They're right over here on our wall. Uh, I want to just want you to look at those. Not any one of those is about the fruit of your salvation. Not doing any one of those doesn't save you. Right? Jesus is what saves you. And so when we talk about give over get. We'll start there. When we talk about giving and doing, and, and whether it's your time or your offerings or whatever it is, that stuff doesn't save you, but it's the fruit of a relationship with Jesus Amen. and living with him. Amen. When we talk about spirit over self, about following Jesus and doing what he's called us to do, that doesn't save you. Nothing but the blood saves you, Amen. but that is about how you live with Amen. Jesus and what your life is like, what the fruit is coming out of your life because you know him. We talk about progress over perfection, right? That th this is really, I love this one because God knows I am not perfect. And you know what? Because God knows I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, he knew he was going to have to die on that cross and there was going to be nothing but the blood that saved us. We talk about send over, stay, and telling people. It's because we want to make sure the world knows that there's something more and that there is a God who died on the cross and paid the price for us. And when we talk about story over sin, that is nothing but the blood. Amen. That's not about you being perfect or knowing everything or doing everything right. That is about what Jesus has done for you Amen. in trying to follow him. See, that is the fruit of salvation. But salvation, as Kyle said last week, if we talk and joke about golf all the time, that's not what we're about, even though golf's not a sport, and we know that. We need to know that we're really about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So I wanted to bring that back around there to the important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I told you we were talking, right? I told you you're going to be offended today. Yeah. Yeah, I understand you can't grow in your comfort zone. That's what I heard earlier. So thank you, Ruth. So, hey, man, that's just spirit over self. That's just kind of a, we're just letting God work, right? 
Yeah, exactly. They're the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So just having some fun as we, but really what we're talking about is knowing that Jesus is the one who saved us, that we are about nothing but the blood, that not how perfect we are or imperfect we are, but about what Jesus has done for us. Now, if you're old enough to know this, some of you younger people might not know, but the church, if you went to church, there used to be a saying that, that Christians don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with women who do. Anybody remember that statement? They're old enough to remember? Some of you, some of you don't want to admit you're old enough? Okay, it's okay. Um, but that used to be a church philosophy, right? And that was really, what you got to know is there is no such thing as a good Christian. There is only someone who belongs to Jesus, right? And, and then how the fruit lives out, the fruit you produce is an important of that, but you need to belong to Jesus. And then if you belong to Jesus, if you're rooted in him, you're connected to him, then what comes out of your life will be beauty. It will be these statements. It will be love. It will be compassion. It will be care. It will be a way that you change and see lives transformed because of what you do. It will be God using you. It'll be you saying to people you encounter, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood. See, salvation is about nothing but the blood, because what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. One of the things I really love as I was thinking about this song this week is that there's two versions there's probably more than that but the, we're, we do two versions there's an older version a very traditional hymn and a modern version and one of the things I love about these songs and the way they come together is they have very different lyrics but they say the exact same thing when you listen to them and what they say is that your salvation is about Jesus and what he's done for us and not about what you've done but what about God has done for you yeah. now now don't get me wrong when I talk about this there there is nothing wrong with devotionals, with giving, with prayer. Those are all good things and things we should be doing. In fact, those are great things most of the time, but they're not about what saves us. They're about our connection to Jesus and what he's done for us. They're about living out the root of our salvation. See, the words that we proclaim, that proclaim salvation in Jesus and sacrifice, not my works, when we sing, Nothing but the blood. I shared with you a little bit ago about the woman who I had talked to who wondered if she was being punished for her sins, if that's why she was still alive. I've been meeting with her for a while. She's an incredible woman, loves Jesus like you wouldn't believe. And one day we were talking about that. We were talking more about that. She was talking about it again, and we, for weeks on end, I've been meeting with her for almost a year now. Um, and she tells me, she, she says, I'm worried that he's punishing me. And I was like, well, let's talk about that. What are you worried that he's punishing you for? And then she began to tell me some things that she was worried about. And to be honest with you, in today's society, none of us would be worried about that. But she's getting close to 100 and had that kind of don't drink, smoke, or chew kind of ingrained into her. And, you know, honestly, she's talking about things that probably aren't a big deal. But to her, she experienced him as, as stepping away from God, uh, about pulling away. And even though she knew and we talked and she could quote back to me scripture, she was worried about them. And no matter how much we talked, she couldn't get pa uh, past her past. And, and as we're talking, and I often do, I'm praying, I'm like, all right, Lord, help me understand what's happening here. Help me know what to say or what to do. 
And so I had this idea from the Lord that uh, my idea was to absolve her from her sins. Now, for those of you who know, there's a Catholic tradition of absolution that comes from Catholic priests. That's not what I was doing, right? So what I did was I said, hey, we're going to absolve you of your sins right now. She knew, she knew Jesus, she had confessed, she had failed, she had, she had given her life over, over and over again, she asked him for forgiveness, but she hadn't understood what Jesus had done for her. So I got up close to her and just laid hands on her, and I told her to pray for forgiveness, and the thing she said, and as she was doing that, as she was doing that, I absolved her from her sins. I, I, I said, she prayed, she asked for forgiveness for these things she'd done, and I just said, because Jesus had made the promise, all I did, and while I would use the term absolution, was all I did was confirm the promise that Jesus had already made to her. I put my hands on her. Jesus said he's forgiven you, he has forgiven you. Jesus said that you're absolved from your sins, that your sins are gone, that they're as far as from the east as to the west, they're gone. And I did this, and then when we were done, I closed, I prayed, closed in prayer, and she felt this giant weight lifted off of her. She felt this way. And, and to be honest with you, she was ready to die. She kept telling me she's asking to die. Uh, and, and as the band comes up, as we get ready for, uh, to enjoy the song again that's nothing but the blood, it, she was asking me to die. And then we had this encounter. And uh, I saw her again a, a couple of weeks later. And I began to talk to her. And her whole demeanor had changed. She began to tell me about how she was now walking again, that she hadn't walked. She was using a, a wheelchair and didn't have the strength to walk. And what happened was, was that one day that God had told her that she needed to get up and start walking again. And so with her little walker, she got up and started walking and now can get herself back and forth to the bathroom again. As we talked about the things of recognizing Jesus' forgiveness of sin of her as Jesus has given her, her, that forgiveness, is she began to have uh, an understanding of her purpose because she felt like she didn't matter because she couldn't function, she couldn't do stuff. And she began to recognize that her purpose was for God to love her, to show his love through her, for, through her family, through this walking again, through all these things. See, what we did there, and again, it was nothing about me but about Jesus, is we took a physical act, and that was simply me walking up to her, laying hands on her as she... Uh, again, confessed her love for Jesus and reminding her the promise Jesus had made. That physical act combined with the pro proclamation of Jesus as Lord and the promise of Jesus' forgiveness. See, when we do communion, we do that very same thing. One of the things I love about communion and singing nothing but the blood it is this is what it's all about. This communion, the bread and the cup, remind us and symbolize Jesus' blood and his body, his sacrifice for us. And so we're going to do that today like we do every week, engage in a physical act, but we're going to do it just a little different today. We're going to do that together. So what I'd like you to do right now as I'm talking to give you a few seconds is get up and go grab communion. Grab communion and we'll take it together. Don't take it. Just hang on to it. Grab it, hang on to it, and we'll take it together. I'll lead us and tell you when it's time. In fact, I need to go get communion myself because I forgot to grab it earlier. That probably would have been smart. Oh, thank you very much.
I'm going to lead us in just a moment in taking it together. And you can stand and sit. One of the things I, I love doing with communion is taking it and praying and reminding me. But I also love hanging on to it and holding it while we sing. And I want to do that now and uh, just sing. We're going to start with the traditional version. We're going to sing that. And after we sing that, I'm going to step back up here. just, And I'm going to lead us through taking communion. And then we're going to sing the modern version. Because as we hang on to this and as we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. We proclaim and are reminded all at the same time. Do you hold on to it as you sing? Nothing but the blood. to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me now as we take the bread symbolizing his body? In the same way, after he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You join me as we take the bread. The final verse there. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have just engaged in a physical act that is not only a proclamation, but a reminder of the promise that Jesus had made, that he sacrificed for us, that he gave his life so that we might live, so that we could sing what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Four Generations to Come, a podcast by Generations Church. If you want to know what's happening around the church, please visit mygenerations.com.
church. There you'll see opportunities to connect through activity groups and events, as well as gatherings you can attend. We also want to hear your story, how God is working in your life. So jump on over there to our website and share your story. Share how God is at work in your life. And if you're going through a difficult time where you even have some praises, we would love to be able to pray with you and for you. There'll be a button there to do that as well. Have an incredible week.